Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Kathy, you made my day. I could literally cry. So good to see you. So, cool. I don't, know, I don't know if this is a crying service. This is a fun service. It's going to be a different one. So, uh, first of all, why do we do, what are we doing this summer? We're doing the summer party challenge. Can we put that, that uh, picture up there? So, when we started the plant, we started with 28 people. And God this, did this amazing miracle. We went from 28 people to 16 people. That was a horrific season of life. <laughs> Trust me. But the year two, Omar Niebles, who's part of our church, who was part of the plant team, we said, people don't know their friends and neighbors. They go to work with people. They don't spend time with people. There's not a lot of opportunity to build relationships with people outside their little circle of friends. So we had prayed, and we gave the plant a challenge. 30 parties, 30 house parties that next year. 12 months with 28 people, we threw 70 house parties. How awesome is that, right? You can get a little excited. The first service was excited, right? And so here's the problem. Most people do not congregate with their neighbors. If I were to ask you every neighbor on your street, people are lucky if they know two of them. What about coworkers? Have you ever spent time outside of work with your coworkers? What about people that you value? So this is not an opportunity to gather with your church friends. This is the challenge that everyone throw a house party. Your pastor is telling you, throw a house party. I'm telling you, you have permission to party this summer. Do I get an uh aha? There we go, right? I know for Sue and I, we'll be throwing at least two of them, one in July, one in August. One's going to be just for our neighborhood. One's going to be for a bunch of our friends that, that are in the community that don't come to the plant. And our whole goal is that they know we are human. We will cook real good food. We will throw Carol King on in the background. And we will have great music. And we just want people to know that they are loved. So, everybody... Do a house party, you get a free bag of s'mores, and you can, buy our fi- you can borrow a fire pit. It's going to be a blast. Now, here's what we're doing this morning. This morning, what we're doing is we're calling something, or we're calling it this little two-week mini-series, we are calling it Refocus. Why? Because this past year, we have seen some really deep spiritual growth in people. And too often, people kind of like say, man, I needed that sermon again. I needed that sermon again. I needed that sermon again. And so we had talked about as a staff in June, knowing so many people are away and they're going to graduations and, and there's so much going on in people's lives. I mean, look around, how many people are missing, right? We said, let's relook at a couple of the sermons that people really gravitated to and said, I needed that one. So today's the first one called Refocus. Missy Ritter, come on up. We have a testimony this morning. So let me ask you, what's the one topic people, to, people hate to hear about most in church? What's the one topic you do not want your pastor to talk about? Anyone know? Money, right? Money, 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 right? You don't want to hear your pastor talk about money. 
Last November, the most watched sermon, the most talked about sermon after that for over a month was the sermon on finances. Because what we had talked about was what does the Bible say about money and what does it mean to have a kingdom perspective? This is not a message on giving. This is a message on understanding what the Bible says about God's provisions and what do we do with them. So with that, we have Missy Ritter. Let's give Missy a hand. How are you, Missy? How are you feeling right now? A little nervous? Good. I don't speak in public. But you're doing great so far. So here's what we're doing. <laughs> so here, here's what we're doing. After the message, we had a ton of people come up to us and say, that was the first time I've ever heard finances talked about in a way that the church wasn't making money off of. That's what we really heard. And so about eight years ago, we did a class called Balance that Scott Hozier had taught on finances, a kingdom perspective on finances. And after that, there were so many people that said, I need to go through that again. And you were one of them. And so knowing that I was going to talk on kingdom finances today, first service, we had one person share. This service, I wanted Missy to share about like, what made you take that class? Just what simply made you take that class? Let me just turn the mic. Sorry. You can blame Carly. Carly. <laughs> just joking, Carly. I've had a lot of troubles with finances in the past, and although I've been doing better, I figured it's always good to um, to see what the Bible says about it, to um, just get more information, and you know, it's called balance. So, um, so we took the class, and actually, when it first came up, I thought it was interesting, and then the first two um, sessions I couldn't go to. So I said, you know what, maybe I'll just wait till the next time. And then miraculously, it got moved. I don't know why it got moved, but it got moved, and so I took it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we just learned about um, how to be balanced in your finances, not just giving to the church, although that's important. It's about more, you know, everything you have comes from God. Mm -hmm. And so you, sh you should want to give it back to him. It's, it, it came from him, right? And I see my, my cohorts here. We, ha we had a great team. We had a great bunch of people in the class. Um, we, we shared struggles with each other. We came up with ideas together. We mostly studied what the Bible says about it. And, and that is that you have to be wise. You are stewards. You're responsible. You're managers of God's money. So, you know, it's, it's not, you don't waste it. You don't do with it whatever you feel like doing. I mean, he wants you to enjoy life. Absolutely. But don't waste and be generous. Yeah, good. What was, what was the real big takeaway that you say, like, since then, this is what's changed. This is what's shifted. So I'm paying more attention to where my money's going. Mm. Um, you know, every time I make a purchase, I'll say, is this something that's honoring God? Or maybe that's wasteful. Maybe that's not what he intended with this money. And another thing that I've done is try to give more of, like, I have stuff. I have so much stuff. And, and Scott talked about that. And we all talked about that, right? And so there, there are groups on Facebook that you just give your stuff away. So I'm like, well, I haven't touched this in years. Let's give that away. And people love it. 
People come and they're cleaning out my basement. I mean, it's wonderful. Yep. It's wonderful. So. Your junk is someone else's treasure. Definitely. And people right? fight over it. Right? People yep. get mad about it. And you have to yeah. calm them down. But, yep. but, <laughs> right? um, but yeah, that's, those are two takeaways. Okay. And how do you see this continuing to be played out? Because anytime you do something like this, it's like it's quick. Mm-hmm. And you see quick change. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to allow having this, this, this mindset, this perception, continue to as you walk in this, not being a part of this class? Um, that's a tough question. I don't, you know, I, you just have to keep thinking about it, keep praying about it, keep, you know, every time I read, like, the, the verses you'll have this morning, a lot of them were in the class, and I'm like, oh, I remember that one, and yep. so it's just constant reinforcement, I think, is just around you. Okay, good. Would you recommend people taking the class, and why? Without a doubt. I recommend everybody to take it. Um, you know, I, I'm not married currently. I've been married, and I know that that finance is a huge problem in marriages. So I think that I think other people can probably attest to that. Um, so I think this class really helps you to talk about your finances with your with your partner, and and for me to talk about it with my kids and teach mm-hmm. my kids, you know, the right thing to do and what God says to do, and just just show them to you know be a good example. Awesome, good. Let's pray for Missy. Good job. Perfect. You did awesome. Jesus, we ask you for Missy that you would allow her to truly see how faithful you are. God, I pray for just a a shift, a spiritual shift, a spiritual change, not only in her perspective of finances, but how you provide more than she could ever hope, dream, or imagine. Would you do that? In your name, amen. 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 Awesome. Great job. Let's give her a hand again. So it was very interesting after I preached that message, right afterwards, people had come up to me and be like, I've never heard finances preached on that. I'll be honest with you. I feel like oftentimes when churches bring up money, it's a ploy. It's a manipulation. Give so that the church will receive. I have learned in my journey of faith that I need to have a kingdom perspective of everything. That God is my heavenly father, that God will provide, and that I am able to trust him with everything. I want you, no matter if you have a lot or a little, I want you to lean back, stop leaning forward like you're about to run out of here, and I want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to understand, here is the goal for this morning. One, you'll see God's faithfulness. Two, you will be free to do, to be, to give all that God provides. Three, that you can live in a place of security. Security knowing that no matter what the circumstance is, God's provisions are always present. And most importantly, I want you to be able to step back and say, I'm choosing contentment today. Amen? I'm choosing contentment today. Let's just pray for this message. Jesus, thank you for today. And God, this is a journey. Finances are a journey that we each go through. We love abundance. And we hate scarcity. We love when we, when we earn 
And we hate when we feel dependent. But I ask you today for a shift in each of our hearts, in who you are, in how you provide, and how we choose to leave this service. In Jesus' name, amen. For me, whenever I read scripture, I always come back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Do I get a jersey amen? Amen. Right? Uh Uh-huh, right? Uh Uh-huh, right? Uh Uh-huh, amen. Right? It's all about Jesus. What does Jesus say about finances? Because it's really whatever Jesus says, he is a reflection of the heart of God. And so what Jesus did is he, come, he came to fulfill all of Scripture. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus talked more about money than any other topic. Do you know that? Do you know the greatest sin that Jesus talked about was greed? And how wealth stirs greed in the heart. And he spoke more against wealth and greed than any other sin. But what about, but what about, but what about, but what about? No, 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 no. Because there's something about greed and wealth that has the power to derail someone from fully walking with Jesus. Think about this. Out of the 39 parables, 11 of them were in reference to finances. Do you hear me? 11 of the 39 were in reference, in illustration, to finances. Why? Because Jesus knew that if he talked about those things nearest and dearest to the people, they would what? They would listen. And so there's this idea of like, whoa, 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 what's he talking about? Why is he bringing this up? Because he knows that there's certain things that are so close to our hearts that he wants to pluck them out so we can experience the freedom that he has for us. Anyone have a, a, a real Bible here? Not, not a tablet or anything like that. Anyone holding a real Bible? Luke, oh, you're such a good son. You brought your Bible today. I'll buy you lunch. Good job. So if you open, this is a big one. It's heavy. If you were to open this Bible, do you know how many passages talk about finances? How many verses? Do you know how many passages talk about about peace? 365. Do you know how many passages talk about finances? 2,350. And so we can look at that in both the positive and the negative. Here, I won't throw it, I promise. Take it. In other words, what God wants us to know is that he is provider. Jehovah Jireh. And in the midst of that, we in our human hearts can get so overwhelmed that we take our eyes off of God, forgetting that he provides for all things, and we put it all on ourself. Think about what Jesus said when the disciples said, Jesus, when you pray, things happen. I mean, think about hanging out with Jesus. Whatever Jesus prayed, it happened. And in the second line of teaching his disciples about prayer, you know what he says? This is what he says. He says, give us today the food we need. In other words, 
Jesus is about teaching us that all the things that God wants to provide for us, if we ask for it, he will do so. Wow. Think about that. And then you look at Scripture, and and you think about all the the endgame stories of so many different characters. When we think about Joseph, we always think about Joseph at the end of his life, where he's Pharaoh's right-hand guy. But let's think about this. When Joseph was a teenager, he was from a blended family. His mom died. He was left with his father, who remarried to someone else, and it was like the Brady Bunch, two families getting together. Joseph has these dreams, and in his dreams, he realizes that one day he was going to rule over his brothers. And knucklehead teenager, what does he do? He go tells his brothers what's going to happen. And then he has another dream. And he tells his brother, like, hey, you guys are doing a lot of good things, but I'm going to be bigger and stronger and more powerful, and one day you will worship me. Well, if you have big brothers and you tell them that, what are they going to do? They're going to throw you into a pit. And he got thrown into a pit, and then he was thrown into slavery, and then he was thrown into jail. And for, like, so many years... The vast majority of his young adult life was poverty, slavery, imprisonment. And there came a point in his life where he was going to choose to be faithful to God or not. He could have so often just said, you keep failing me. And instead, he had his eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of his faith. David, we think about David on the throne. David was one of nine boys. Samuel came to anoint the king. Was supposed to be the first son, second son, third son. Next thing you know, little David. What we know about David is this. He came from a middle class family. And for the vast majority of his young life, his young adult life, he was running from the king, but yet he believed in the faithfulness of God, waiting for all the provisions That God had promised, you will be on the throne. You will see this come to fruition. When he was hiding in the caves, knowing Saul was out there ready to kill him, he leaned on Jehovah Jireh, knowing that God will make a way. You think about Ruth. Here you have a young woman. She's married, madly in love. She marries someone who, who was from a different faith, someone who worshiped the, the God of the universe. She was from a different faith, but, but for some reason they married. Next thing you know it, her, her young husband dies, just dies out of the blue. And she's like, what do I do now? So her mother-in-law goes, you can go home and be with your family. And she's like, time out. I see how God is so faithful to you. I want to, I want to serve you. Because I know serving you, the God of heaven provides for you. And so here you have this this young woman who was mourning the loss of her young husband. And God just sets her up. She goes to the field and Boaz sees her. And all of a sudden he starts getting the butterflies. And he starts falling in love with her. And he starts providing for her. And guess what? God rescues Ruth. And guess whose lineage came from from Ruth? Jesus, wow. Have we ever sat in our financial tension or in our frustrations and chose God's faithfulness over our circumstances to see how God always provides? 
What about the widow? Jesus was hanging out outside of the temple. He and his disciples were looking into the temple, and he sees this woman. She's a widow. She was on, uh, she was give, she was on government finances. Every week, she was given two little coins, widow's mites. Every week, widows got two coins, and out of nowhere, no one was around. She walks in, and she just places her two mites into the offering, and Jesus says, that's faith. He didn't say, that's obedience. He said, that's faith. She gets it. She gets it more than anyone. And you look at all of these different people and you see how God is faithful. And I believe the biggest tension for us is we actually do not believe God is faithful. You see, there's a lie that we, that we have. It's called playing fair. I, I love telling the story, and I told this last November. This is probably the only part of the sermon that you really remembered. I talked about the first time we played Monopoly together as a family in Vermont. And it was the worst day of my life. My children, who I thought were these little angels, were sneaking money. My daughter, who I thought was a precious little cherubim flying around our house all day long, had like $2,000 in her sock. And I'm like, she needs Jesus. I told Sue, like, what have we created? Who are these children? Look what you've done. And this, this whole idea, like, we really believe, like, game, like, life's a game of Monopoly. You get 500, you get 500, you get 500, you get 500, you get 500. That's not true. There's not a fairness mentality here on earth, is there? Some of you were born into wealth. Some of you were born into poverty. Some of you hardly have to work and you're like King Midas. Whatever you touch turns to what? Gold. For others, you work harder than anyone else in this room. And for some reason, you can never get ahead. Look what scripture says. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. And there's this idea that we battle. And we don't trust God because we live in an entitlement society. Well, if he really loved me, he would fill in the blank. If God really cared, then he'll fill in the blank. So if I can't trust him, how can he trust me? And there's this battle, this inner battle of is who really is God and does he really provide? Is Jesus true? Is Jesus correct when he says, look at the, look at the fields, look at the birds, look at the lilies. You see how God provides for them? And he says this, like a question, how much more does your heavenly father want to provide for you? You see, this is the society we live in right now. We are so terrified of not living up to the expectations of those around us that our kids go to school and they see kids at a very young age getting iPhones and they expect it. They want the tablet, the newest thing, the newest thing. And they grow up in this entitlement society, this entitlement culture. And we have to remember that our children are just a reflection of who? Us. And so they grew up in this entitlement society. Think about couples. Couples don't argue about how much they have. They argue about what? How much they don't have. Rather than saying, let's come together, let's figure out what we have and how we need to use it properly. 
Because if we really sat down and said, what do we have and how do we use it properly to not only survive but begin to live, it doesn't become a fight. It actually becomes a place of connection for deep growth and actually falling in love with one another because you learn to do it together. I mean, think about this. Our country has taught us that debt is healthy. Do you know that? What did, what did they just do during Memorial Day? How many trillion dollars did we just consolidate, reconsolidate in our government? Anyone know what the number is? Trillions. We didn't keep it where it was. We said, let's just do it one more time. And so for each of us, we have grown up in a card society, a credit card society. And now we go out to dinner, and what do they want to do with our credit cards? They want to charge us what? 3.99. And they haven't told you that. That's why you need to go to MB&G because they don't charge you the 3.99. Little sell for you, MB&G, right? Think about this. But, but it's true. And so if the people that, we, that are leading us, that oversee us, are saying that death, uh, death, it, yeah, debt is death, right? Debt is doable, it's manageable, and it's part of your life. What do we do? We believe the lie. And we become entrapped. And all we do is we get strangled and strangled and strangled and strangled. And it's dangerous. And we've all fallen prey. Do I get an aha? Uh-huh? Anyone get yourself in credit card debt? Just me. Four people, right? Think about that, right? And let's be honest. There is good debt and there's really, really bad debt. But the reality is, is that we are more involved in bad debt than even thinking, is there anything that is good debt? AKA, owning a home that you can afford. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you five biblical principles to understanding kingdom finances. Has anything I said already freaked you out? You tracking with me? And I believe right now before July, this is important, because between June and August, it'll be the second most spending time of your year. You know what the first is? November through January 15th. Because not only are you spending for Christmas, but all the things you wanted, guess what you did? And you didn't get, you ran out and bought them anyways. So you have these windows you have these windows, and we have to prepare for if we don't understand our finances properly, all we're going to do is we're going to live in a place that we are strangling ourselves, and we are missing out on all that God has for us. So, four out of the five are all about you, and one is about we. First, and that's nothing to do with money. Earn diligently. You hear what I'm saying? Earn diligently. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for who? Say it louder. People. Say it louder. People. Who do you work for? Why do you work? Do you believe that God has put you in a position? Because God has given you gifts and talents specifically for the job that you are in. 
Whether you're a teacher or a nurse or a doctor or you work in a bank or you own a business or, or you're a consultant or, or whatever you do, God has said, I provided this job for you. Now, my cousin goes to church here. When she was in her 20s, she had the coolest job in the world in your 20s. She worked for MTV. How awesome would that have been? I'm like, that's a fun place to work, right? Especially in your 20s. But it's one of those things like, like do you really believe that God has positioned you. Why? Because your vocation is your gospel vehicle. God is putting you in your job. So you get to be the light of Christ. And when you go to work crabby, you do not look like Jesus or you are a bad representation of Christ. And shame on you. Shame on you. When you go to work, do you go there saying, wow, God has provided. God has me here. There's someone who I am supposed to touch today where their lives are going to be changed for the better. My conversations, my being present is going to shift someone else's life. And so before we ever talk about finances, do you work diligently? Or do you need to confess and say like, God, I'm a really bad employee. I'm a really bad employer. I'm crabby. I do not look like Jesus. I look like Judas, right? Like, think about that. Like, like, how do you go to church? How do you go to work? Is church the only place that you smile and you, and you put on this facade? Every day, we are sent out to be the church. Work diligently. Work diligently. Two, give generously. Listen to what Paul says. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. But you must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Do you hear me? Or response to pressure. Do you hear me? I'm letting you off the hook. Or response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Yes, I believe the tithe is the starting place. That every time God gives me a dollar, he says, do you trust me? I'm learning. Do I get an uh uh-huh? Uh-huh. And I've been walking with Jesus for 31 years. Do you trust me? Give back. And for me, when I look at scripture, I say, I'm giving you 10%. I want you to go do whatever you want for your kingdom, your glory, your honor forever. And we as a couple at a very, very young age, before we got married, we said, this is what we do. And then we do other things. Last year, and I can share this because this was last year, God had told Sue and I, he had said, every month I want you to send a pastor out for dinner. And so every month, Sue and I would pray and talk about who is that pastor who needs to go out to dinner. And I would send them a text, send me your Venmo account. And he goes, why? Why, why? Just send me your Venmo account. And we would send them to dinner. We would say, get a babysitter and go to dinner. Because we want to be cheerful givers. I don't want to feel pressure. I want to be able to give in such a way where I'm able to bless 
not only my father in how I trust him, but bless others who God puts before me. Do you know what the average Christian gives every year? 2.9%. 2.9%. Really? Do we really know what dependency is? Do we really know what it means that God is Jehovah Jireh? I want to challenge you. This is my challenge. No pressure. And if you think this is pressure, then you don't know me. I want to challenge you to look at how you give. And I want to challenge you to give 2% more. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Next time you have an opportunity to bless someone, smile and give it. I want to challenge you. I have a funniest story. Brandon was a senior in high school. And you remember when you went to those classes and you, had, you were given a baby and it has a battery in it and it cries and you got to burp it and change its diaper? Well, Brandon was in that class. And in that class, at the time, his girlfriend in high school was in the same class. And so he and his girlfriend were supposed to take care of this baby. By the time they gave the baby back, there was like four, like four limbs missing and just a head that was like broken in, given back to the teacher. We're like, dude, he's like, can you babysit? I'm like, I'm not babysitting a doll. That's not happening. But he and his girlfriend at the time, one of their first fights they ever got into was budgeting. They had to make a budget. And so he and his girlfriend, they made this whole budget. And Brandon comes to the end and he says, hey, hey, there's a line missing. She's like, what do you mean? He's like, we're about the kingdom. She's like, who's about the kingdom? What kingdom? Our kingdom? No, no, no. We're about the kingdom of God. And he added another line. There was yelling, door slamming, screaming. We're like, what the heck's going on? He and his girlfriend were fighting. Do we trust God with our provisions? How awesome is that? How awesome is that? Think about that. Do you give generously? Do you, do you believe like the Israelites? All that you have belongs to God. One. Earn diligently. Two, give generously. Three, save appropriately. Save appropriately. Look what scripture says, Proverbs 21.20. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Let me read another translation. A wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Savings is making provisions for tomorrow. Do I get an amen? Savings is making provisions for tomorrow. That way, when you have a rainy day, it feels like rain rather than a tornado. Because what happens is if we do not save appropriately and things happen, money that was set aside to do certain things puts you in a deeper, worse financial dilemma. And so a rainy day turns into a tornado. Rather than saying like, wow, in God's provisions, in doing things right, I'm able to take care of the rainstorms that hit us, the curveballs that get thrown at us. Anyone have plumbing issues this week? Anyone? Anyone's air conditioning break this week? I know there's people in this room whose air conditioning's broke this week. 
I know that. So what happens if you have not been wise with your finances? It's not taking a step backwards. It's like taking like 12 step backwards. And you're never, ever able to get out of it. Do you hear what the Bible says? We think the Bible says just give everything to God. No, it talks about trusting God in all things. You need to save for short term and you need to save for long term. Let me give you an example. When our kids were little, it was that season when everyone was going to Disney, right? And I felt the pressure of going to Disney. My kids did not feel the pressure going to Disney. So I came home one day and I said, that's it. She was like, what happened? I said, we're going to Disney. She's like, no, we're not. She's like, how are we going to Disney? I'm like, we got a credit card. She's like, you better not. So I said, trust me on this one. So we sat down the kids and I knew all their friends were going to Disney. I said, here's the deal. We're going on vacation this summer. They're like, woo. I said, you have two options. You can go to Disney, Disney World. You can go on all the rides. You can meet Mickey and Minnie and Becky. You can meet all the princesses there. You can get the hat. You can get splashed. We can go to SeaWorld. And I made this almost like a PowerPoint presentation why they had to go to Disney. And she was looking at me like, stop. I said, or you can go to Vermont. And they all started crying. They said, we don't want to go to Disney. We want to go to Vermont. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You just saved me $7,000, right? $7,000 that I didn't have. I wasn't planning for it. I didn't have it. But I had this pull in me that, that I had to keep up with everybody else. It wasn't the season to go to Disney. And yet when I really asked my kids, they didn't want to go. So, earn diligently, give generously, save appropriately, spend moderately, spend moderately, spend moderately. It says here, Jesus says, beware, guard against every kind of what? Greed. Life is not measured by how much you what? own. Let's say this together, everybody at the same time. Beware. Let's do it again. Beware. Now, I'm not trying to brainwash you, but let's say it one more time. <laughs> Beware. Think about that. Spend moderately. I think during COVID, how many of us got free money and we just started spending like crazy and Amazon was at your house all day long and you thought it was Christmas in July and you were spending, and you were spending, and you were spending, and you were spending, and you were spending. And when you look at life, life is not measured by how much you own. There's nothing wrong with having nice. There's not. There's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with having much. But is much your God? 
Or is the God of everything the one that you serve and the way that, you pro- that he provides, you provide for others? I know a few people that have more than they ever will need. And I know many people that have more than they will ever need. But there's about three individuals that, that Sue and I would say, like, they do it right. They have more than they will ever need. But the way they give, the way they, the way they spend, the way they save, the way they invest is something that I feel is a form of godliness. Like literally the way that we handle our finances is really a reflection of what we believe to be true about God and ourselves. It's a kairos moment. It's a divine moment. And I'll be honest with you, the hardest part of working nonprofit in Bergen County is that everyone's going to always have a bigger house. Everyone's going to always have a newer car. Everyone's going to always, and there are people that will not come to this area to minister because they know they will be entrapped and they will lose their faith. So many ministers, so many nonprofit agencies come to Bergen County and lose because they get caught up in the moment. They get caught up in the moment. And so how do we literally have a perspective? Whether we have a ton Enough or battle every day that my life is not measured by what I have. Yes, we love nice things, but nice things always for us have to be expensive. And we've had to come to agreement with that. We've had to talk through things. We've had to process through things. We've had to make real decisions, good decisions, what we do, and more importantly, what we don't do. And that's us. But then there's a fifth. Earn diligently, give generously, save appropriately, spend moderately, invest wisely. Ecclesiastes The wealthiest man on earth at that time says, but divide your investments among many places. For you do not know what risks might lie ahead. Solomon says this, diversify. Send your money all over the place. Put it in different areas. Be wise. You have to invest wisely. Because otherwise, you are going to get to a point that when it is time that you are no longer able to work, you will have nothing. And then you got to move in with your kids. Think about that. And maybe your kids won't want you because you've been too caught up in yourself and too much into your greed. And your kids look at you and say, wow, you are a really bad example. Now you want me to bail you out? We must be wise with our finances. Are you slowly putting money away to your 401k or 403p or or whatever you have? Are you thinking long term? Do you believe that God wants you to think long term? Is this refreshing? Is this refreshing to say that this is what scripture says? My attitude at work should be amazing. I need to have a cheerful heart. I need to spend moderately, save appropriately, invest wisely. Like, think about this. Look, look at the pie. Look at the, look at the pie up there. 
If you were to really go home, could you start looking at this and saying, this is what I do. Everyone take out your phone. Everyone take out your phone. I want you to take a picture. I want you to take a picture. And I want you to think about, and I want you to go home, and I want you to really, really wrestle through this. How am I? Not in view of the plant, not in view of of Rob, but, but how do I really look at God as Jehovah Jireh? Do I really, really believe it? You see, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Think about that. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So you want to know what you, what you desire? You desire what you think about most. You desire what you talk about most. You desire what you spend most of your time in. And you desire what you spend most on. But it begins with what you think about, what you talk about, and how you act on it. And Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasures also are. And that's hard. It's hard. I have a friend who moved from Kenya to the U.S. And you're thinking like, wow, you got out of there. God saved you. God rescued you. And he, became to be, he came to be a pastor in New Jersey. And I said, man, how much better is it to be in New Jersey? He's like, it's a thousand times worse. I said, what? He said, it's a thousand times worse. He said, being a pastor in New Jersey is probably the hardest place to be a pastor anywhere. The greed, the wealth, the trying to just survive is impossible. I'm like, you are in Kenya. He's like, I know. I've had to pray through this. I've had to process this. Think about the pressure that is on each of us. Plant family, if you walk away from here and say, I want to reorient my finances to learn that God is, pro- is Jehovah Jireh, that is the win for the day. That is the win for the day. If you go home and you say, God, today I'm going to realign my desires, I'm going to calculate what I think about, what I talk about, what I invest in, because I want to know that you provide for all things. I want you to read scripture, and I want you to look at the hard stories. Think about Ruth. For all you single parents out there, does God provide? Will he provide? Does he provide? What about you young person who are are just drowning in debt, but you know that you are trying to do the things of God? Will you trust God just like David did? Or what about you who is in that final chapter of life and you're like, I'm done. I'm unhirable. Can I trust God with all that I have? I hope you walk away today and say, wow, today I'm going to learn that God is my Jehovah Jireh, my 
provider. And this is not a decision you make. This is a path of holiness that we learn to walk on. It is alignment. It is fighting. It is positioning so that you can allow God to provide for all of your needs according to his riches and his glory. It's important. Parents, you need to be talking to your kids about your finances. Not just finances, but your finances. Invite them into your spiritual journey of God being Jehovah Jireh. And here is my prayer for all of you. This is my purest motive. This is my purest motive. I only pastor, I swear, on everything good and holy about my life that all I want you to do is learn to follow Jesus holy. That's all I care about because God provides for us. God will do what he wants. Yes, he wants to use all of us, but I trust God that all I care is that you are walking with him, that you would know him, and you would be known by him as well. This is what I want from you. One, experience God's faithfulness as you trust him. I want you to know that God has your back. Two, freedom to go where God wants you to go. Do what he wants you to do and give what he wants you to give. My daughter and son-in-law were told that they could not do what they wanted in another country until they got rid of their debt. They had $55,000 worth of debt. He was a medical technician. She worked at Starbucks. She worked for a nonprofit, and she substitute taught. They paid off $55,000 living in an apartment, taking care of all their needs in 10 months because they wanted the freedom to do and be and go wherever God called them. And they knew that if they didn't learn for God to be Jehovah Jireh, they were pigeonholed in staying here, and they needed to get out of here. $55,000 in 10 months. That's crazy. They put mommy and daddy to shame. Three, create financial security that prepares you for the future. Yes, as your pastor, I want you to create financial freedom and liberty and security so that when you are 65, 70, 75, you are not just trying to survive. You're ready for whatever God has next. And lastly, I want us, including me, to learn contentment. We are a people that are fully discontent. Every day, there is something fighting for our contentment. Every day, there's something pushing against us that we are not living in a place of contentment. And this morning, I'm saying this and I'm declaring this, that God wants to break the attitude and the spirit of discontentment off you. So, who struggles with contentment? Anyone? Stand up. 
If you struggle with contentment, stand up. Stand up if you struggle with contentment. And if you don't, praise God. Stay seated. If you, if you don't struggle with, with discontentment, but if you, you struggle with contentment, here's what I want to do. I want you to lay your hands on each other. Just touch one another's shoulder. You can do it. Okay, just ask for permission first. Ask permission. Here's what I want to do. I want to break discontentment off you. Because you've given me permission to have spiritual authority over you. So in the name of Jesus, I break discontentment off you. I break an attitude of discontentment. And I break a spirit of discontentment. That you would live in the fullness that every single thing God has given you is more than enough. I bless you with contentment. I bless you that when you have much, you are content. I bless you when you struggle, you are content. I bless you when everything's going perfect, you are content. I bless you when you are going through the worst season of your life. You are content. In the name of the Father, who's given us the Son and fills us with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's all stand together. Did anyone need this this morning? I hope no one felt manipulated. I hope you know that my intentions, that you would live in the fullness of all that God has for you. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.